Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, worship choir. Take your Bibles, turn with me again to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 9, and the last four verses, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, or page 929, if you use our Bibles here. I don't know if the Apostle Paul was a sports fan, but he certainly understood sports fans because he used sports illustrations uh, a good number of times, and in our passage today, he uses two of them. Uh, One is the illustration of a runner in a race, and then later there's a mention of a boxer uh, in the ring. So I'm going to just jump right into the passage with the uh, first illustration here in verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, or you may have exercises, self-control. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. A crown that'll last forever. I went out for track six years, starting in seventh grade, and this would be a really good time to tell you about all the races I won and the medals that I have. But alas, verse 24 reminds us that only one gets the prize, and it, uh, it wasn't really me. In fact, in track, I, did, I enjoyed track meets and so forth, but I didn't run at all. I, I actually threw the discus and the, and the shot put, except one time I ran a race in an actual track meet. A freshman in high school, uh, we had this dual meet, just, you know, our school and one other school, and uh, it was time for the 440 relay, and Coach Isaac realized he only had three runners. Sid, you're running in the relay, and I looked at him like, really? Because I mean, I'm not fast at all. Yeah, you're running, and I just want you to know we won that race. Three fast guys and me, and so I have a little... Uh, gold-ish medal uh, of the one race that I, I won a medal in. And I actually only have a very small handful of medals of the events I was supposedly better at. Um, you, you know, did you have the jocks in school that with their letter jacket and, you know, they have a, a whole chain across that letter with just loaded with medals dangling on their, on their jacket? I wore a jacket. <laughs> Paul is writing about prizes that matter. And he's writing to believers. And so if you're a believer in Christ, you have put your faith in the one who died for your sins and rose again, and your faith is in Christ alone. You need to know that heaven is secure. Heaven is secure. The only thing that is to be decided is God's evaluation and approval and reward for your faithfulness in this really messy life. Paul pictures Christ's reward here as a prize he's working toward, a prize. Like medals in a track meter, his illustration uh, is very familiar, I'm sure, to the Corinthians because uh, the, the metropolitan city of Corinth was host to the Isthmian Games, uh, held every two years in honor of, of one of their gods somehow. But it was essentially the, the Olympics to them. 
and uh, winners would win a wreath we'll talk about in a moment, but um, only one gets that prize. Only the winner would get that prize. Now, Paul is not just saying, saying that just one Christian will be rewarded, obviously, because probably nobody of us in this room, it'd be like Paul or something, right? Uh, he's not saying that. He's saying, though, this principle that not everyone will qualify the same for the prize. And yet everyone who's a believer in Christ can. Faithfulness matters here eternally somehow. That word forever at the end of verse 25 just rings in our ears. Uh, So what does it mean to, to run the race? It means to live this life as a believer. And the prize is some kind of blessing or eternal reward. This is not the first time that Paul has talked about this in uh, our study of 1 Corinthians. If you recall, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 3, if you got that on the PowerPoint here. 1 Corinthians 3. I'll just read it for you. It might pop up there. Or I don't have it on there. Oh, okay. No, I do. Here we go. I just didn't have this thing turned on. It's not her fault. If anyone, here's the first time he talked about eternal rewards. If anyone builds on this foundation, and the foundation he's talking about is Jesus Christ and our salvation, so he's talking about believers, right? If you build on that foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, or a different category, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. There's a day. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If not, it is burned up. The builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. There's a foundation that is secure, but there is work to be done. And so when he talks about the work here, he's not talking about works to achieve our salvation like every other religion in the world talks about that we have to somehow earn our way to heaven clearly that's not been the case he's talked about the free gift of salvation this is not about achieving heaven by doing good works this is about the good works that we do in response to the free gift we have received it's about our faithfulness after we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so in this, in this third chapter of this, of this letter, he was writing using the illustration of a, of a building, but now he's using the illustration of a race. Why would he bring it up again? Why, you know, he covered that, right? He again has been talking about another controversy, another area of conflict in the church in Corinth. And nothing grieves the heart of God like, like conflict. And so... Um, Because the church was divided over this controversy, he wanted to say there is something at stake. The controversy, if we remember earlier in uh, chapter uh, 8, is this problem of should Christians eat meat that's been offered in the idols? It was just part of the culture. And and in fact, he even lays that subject aside to bring it up again in chapter 10 because it's an an important matter, but it's a controversy about convictions and conscience. He says, this is important, but I'm going to tell you what is more important. What is more important is to be engaged in the race, undistracted from the most important thing, which is the gospel message. Just previous, in this same context, go back to verse 16. This was two weeks ago we looked at this. 
I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. There was this overriding compulsion. I've got to get the gospel message. That's how people get from an eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. I've got to tell people about that. Or at the end of verse 19, to win as many as possible. And he talks about the concessions he'll make just to make sure the gospel message gets to where it, there are people who have not heard it. And last week, uh, our missionary Jim Turek was here and sharing about getting the gospel to places where people have no access to the gospel. And I hope God works in the hearts of, of someone among our church family, maybe somebody younger, who, who is saying, yeah, I can do that. That's maybe what God is, has equipped and, and is sending me to do. But not all of us are going to be going to the places where it's not available. The rest of us are here where the gospel message is available but not known. It's available but not understood. Later on when Pastor Nate gives the announcements, you'll notice there's an announcement in the bulletin about this amazing opportunity that our church has had the last several years to bring the gospel to kids in an after-school program at Dunwoody School and at uh, Thomas Jefferson Middle School. It is absolutely an incredible freedom and opportunity to be able to meet kids at an age where they are, 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 are open and it can, can understand the simplicity of the gospel. And frankly, to be able to continue that ministry, we need some workers by this fall. That's that's the gospel opportunity we're in right here, right now. Paul says, to win as many as possible to Christ, I'll make sacrifices. I'll do whatever it takes. And that's why he talks about this strict training in verse 25. I'll, I will exercise self-control. I will, do, I will make some limits to my life to make a priority of the gospel. As we talk about sacrifice uh, here today, I hope we... I hope we have in mind not what we will give up to be involved in the gospel, but what we will gain. The verse just before ours, verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. There's a cost. There's a sacrifice that the athletes go through, that the the believer who's engaged in the gospel will go through. But we've got to be thinking about the blessing, not the not the burden. If you've ever started a business, you knew that it would take a lot of sacrifices. You knew that your time was going to, you're not going to be watching the clock anymore. You aren't like, when's this going to be over? Because you're engaged, you're going to start this business, and, and so you're putting your time in, and you're putting your money in it, and, and, and actually you can enjoy, because you have your eyes not on the burden, but on the blessing of, hey, if this thing goes, I can support my family, or I can support my family better, and, and you, your eyes are on the goal. And that's, that's how we have to think about the goal that, that God has put before us. In fact, if you really want to enjoy this life as God designed it, be fully engaged in exactly how God wants to fit you in to his eternal purposes. Run in such a way to get the prize. That's where the joy of life comes from. What kind of prize, Paul? Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for. Ever. So the contrast is made by this illustration. The athletes in the Isthmian games would win a wreath. 
It wasn't metals. It was a, it was a wreath. In fact, uh, we're told that they were, they were made of pine bows, almost like a Christmas wreath, I, I think. So, so you win, and there was basically a, there was a, a podium that the winner would stand on, and they'd, they'd put on this, this wreath. What are wreaths made out of? <laughs> Plant material, right? Kind of like that Christmas tree if you wait till February. And so you know that this is a wreath that's going to, going to dry, snap, crackle, and poof. No archaeologist has ever discovered one of those wreaths. We're just told about them in some of the writings that have survived, but, but no, one can, no one can find a wreath. We just know they exist because they're temporary. But you think of all those athletes like elite athletes today who will invest all that time for that potential moment when they may stand on that podium, and some would. And if they would, they would actually win a soon-to-be-rithered wreath. And, and probably don't have their names anywhere either. Paul is not putting down athletics or sports competition. In fact, I think he was somewhat of a fan. And in fact, I, I, can't, I think that, that competitive sports is one of the best ways, I think, for young people especially, to create like an emotional DNA that says, I can go through pain now for something I can enjoy winning later. Yeah. Just that, that whole delayed uh, results thing. And so Paul is saying what we learn from athletics is that we can wait through hard things. We can in, invest in hard things because we think about the prize. We have eternity in, in view. In fact, what we learn from sports illustration here is that there's a far greater venue than any stadium where anyone has ever been a star because we can get a crown that will last forever. There will be a day when every sacrifice we make to know Christ, to follow Christ, to imitate Christ, to serve Christ, to proclaim Christ, there will be a day when that matters more than anything we're doing today, next week, or anything else that we plan for. Because we will not be in the stadium with our peers, we will be face to face with Jesus Christ, Creator, Savior. How big of a deal will it be for Him to say, Well done, good and faithful servant? I don't know if this crown is, is like physical material, but I do know that this experience is literal and it's real. It's you and Jesus. So the strict training, the self control, is, is worth it. The best athletes have incredible self-control. They, 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 they get up early in the morning to go run in, in the cold or whatever the conditions or to go to the, go to the gym to row or climb or pedal or lift or, or whatever they do. And, and there are things in their diet that they will not eat because it might hinder their performance. And there are things that they will eat even though they're not the greatest tasting because it'll help improve their stamina and, and strength. Self-control for an athlete involves alarm clocks, food choices, sweat, achy muscles, cost. And what does it cost? What is... What, what is the self-control 
of our lives that's required to go for the prize. Some of the same things. Alarm clocks. To be able to get up early enough to spend time with Christ so we get to know him because who's going to serve and commit your life to someone you hardly know but we get to know him when he speaks to us through his word about himself. It'll involve a calendar where we put priorities first. That's what, that's, that's what we do on our Google Calendar. You put down the things that you know you got to remember. And then you schedule other things around that. And so, so where does the spiritual priorities that build us up, where do they go? Are, are, they, are they on the calendar? Things that build us up, the opportunities to serve. And, and then we could fill that in with other blessings and things that, that we enjoy doing. Did, did we ever think that way or do we fill it up with all the things we enjoy doing and then we, if possible, then we can do something where we meet with God's people or grow in the, in, in the, in the faith or serve someone. It's, just, it's, a, it's a different perspective, isn't it, when you start thinking eternally. We, we've, I mean, I know the tensions. Uh, summers are short in Wisconsin, right? And so we've got to get our fun in. And uh, Priscilla and I are leaving on a trip today. And, and we're going we're to enjoy it. But do we know when enough fun is enough? Do we know how to prioritize so that we will say, yeah, that's, that's, that's the right balance. God's filled us with many blessings, but the sacrifices for eternity are where the eternal blessings come. And so that's why the New Testament talks about rewards, the 1 Corinthians 3 or this passage here. Or go back to 2 Timothy 2. It says, the simple phrase, it says, if we endure we will reign with him. That's not now. No, I'm not reigning with Christ. I'm serving Christ. But if we will endure, then future tense, we will reign with him. What, what would that mean to somehow partner with the king of the universe forever in a perfect eternity? And what would he have to endure? We might have to endure difficult temptations and discipline ourselves with self-control. We may have to endure annoying people, unruly kids, but we know there's souls in those little bodies. We may have to endure schedule stresses, but we know there's a prize. If we endure, we'll reign with him. What'd that be like? Or Luke 19, one of a couple places where Paul, Jesus told this parable about uh, the, the, the owner who, who sets off on a journey and he leaves money with his servants, talents, gold, for them to invest. And so he says, I'm going to be coming back, but here's this money for you to invest. And, 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 and I thought, remember the one guy, he did nothing with it. But the others who, who invested it, he came back and he says, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where that phrase comes from. He says, I'm going to put you in charge of many cities. Now, I don't know how that owner had many cities. So is that eternal cities? And I don't really know how, how the kingdom of heaven is organized either. Are there cities? Revelation 21 says there's nations. 
We're going to be living in the city, the New Jerusalem, but then there are, it says how the nations will come. So I don't know how things are organized, but, but man, God's going to need a lot of servants who will be very busy doing things that really matter without sin creating a problem in the business of whatever we do. Do we think of heaven as, as literal and real? And then these crowns. Whatever the crowns are, I'm really sure we're not going to be parading around looking how wonderful we are. In fact, the one evidence we have in Revelation 4, verses 10 and 11, is that the 24 elders who had crowns cast them at the feet of Jesus. So, so that Jesus will get full credit. Don't, don't, worry that, don't ever worry about, when you think about rewards like, oh, that means I'm going to be bragging. Then that's just earthly talk. No one's going to be bragging in heaven. We're going to all, all the glory is going to go to him, and that'll be the highest value, finally. And we'll get over ourselves. So what we know about rewards in heaven, it involves Christ's approval. It involves some kind of greater service, privilege, or responsibility, and, and it won't be about it. It should give us goosebumps to anticipate that day. I think through the church family, I just think of so many who have sacrificially given uh, time and, and, and serving with their skills, finding a, a niche, one-on-one uh, -on -one ministry, listening, teaching, preparing to teach, watching kids, helping kids, praying with a group, praying in private. And, and I, I kind of know a lot of things that happen like around here, but Take each of the circles of influence and there's so much that, that God is saying, well done. Do we understand the weight of what we're doing right? And then will we take into serious consideration where we are distracted, where we are not self-disciplined for those purposes? Are eternal rewards real to us? Or did, did Jesus talk about rewards to kind of just get us going, but there really are no rewards. And did Paul teach about rewards, but there's no rewards? Did he talk about a prize, but there's no prize? Does that sound like something that, that, that Scripture would do to us? No. And so after the ticket to heaven is punched, we're just starting. But we got from today to whatever that last day on earth is, and somehow it's going to make a difference. We do it for a to get a crown that'll last forever. Many things matter that we do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We earn money to support our family. That's God's will, no doubt. We uh, earn money and we have time off. We take time off. I'm, I enjoy time off. And uh, we spend money, and, 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 and we sometimes, you know, God can enable us to, to do really special, upgrade material things if he directs and enables. And... But are those earthly desires so obsessing our thoughts? What's the next thing to do, to experience, to accomplish, to buy? Are they so obsessing our thoughts? Are they so filling our calendars? Is it the debit card on our, on our, on our bank or, or credit card? It, or do we have what he says in verse 25? 
self-control. It's interesting to me that, that what he talks about in this passage is not so much sin being the problem, but priorities being the problem. There's plenty of, I mean, we know that sin is a problem, and sin will, will disqualify us, but he doesn't seem to be focused on that. He seems to be focused on, on priority. So do you know what God has called you to do and do you have some ideas? Is it, is it coming into focus increasingly as you, as you grow older that, ah, this is where I fit. This, this, is, this is where I should focus, and, and this, is, this is where I can help. And as you're trying to find those areas, chapter 12 will later on talk about how the body is all equipped differently and God's given different gifts. And that's exactly, that, that's what you need to find out because we don't all do the same things. We don't, don't all do this thing. We don't all do what Jim Turek does. You, you do what God's equipped. You, are you finding that? Because as you do, you have to realize it's going to be something that's hard for you. It doesn't become easy just because you're gifted. There'll be something hard, and it'll mean that you have to limit something that is good. It's not just about getting rid of, you know, dealing with that sin, though that will certainly take the bottom out of it, but you have to limit something that's good. And so that's what the last two verses are about. Spiritual discipline about what is hard and, and limiting what is good. And he not only will talk about the race now, but the boxing match, verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. These pictures of the running aimlessly and beating the air, they're meant to be absurd. In other words, like, yeah, who does that? A race has a destination. There's a finish line. Everybody knows where it is. And it's, it's kind of funny when once in a while you read about somebody getting lost or something in a, in a long race or something, but... If you know where the finish line is, you don't go, oh, there's another trail. That looks interesting. I'm going to pick some daisies. That's not what runners do. That's this picture. And, and what do boxers do? Do they beat the air? No, they got an opponent here. So they don't turn their back and go like that because they're going to get blasted from behind. You don't beat the air. You beat your opponent. You understand there's a spiritual battle and there's going to be something that's hard and there'll be something good that you have to limit. And so he says, this, you could be busy, but not have an internal impact. I think, I think so much of our time, it, this, this is, in fact, this is me many times, where we, we function at such a high stress level, you know, kind of the eight to 10 category, that when you finally get, you know, that done, whatever it is that we felt like we had to do, all that's left is the rest of the day you're, you're functioning like at a one to two. I mean, you're just done. And, and you got nothing left to, but enough strength to scroll, scroll social media and, and uh, do nothing but watch other people do things on TV. It's just our world. I get it. I'm in it. So there would have to be some shifting so that we make sure that there are not good things that are getting in the way of eternal things. 
And so the, the prioritizing of things that will prepare us to serve Christ better and know him better. What will that be? Is there, is there something, you know, as you come to the end of the summer, you think towards fall, is there something you say, you know, I should, I've, I've always meant to do that. I know I need that. Is there, is there a relationship that you know that you could pursue for the gospel? The, the neighbor that you're kind of like, oh, don't want to talk again. But you say, no, there's a soul across the fence. We need to evaluate what is necessary and when are we punching air. We have to evaluate if we're living for this moment or that moment. When we meet Christ. No, I beat it my, by beating my body, he says in verse 27, and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, when he talks about beating his own body, it's not a, you know, a Tarzan thing. It's not, it's not that, that extreme, you know, people who whip themselves, you know, supposedly in, in devotion to God or something. No, it's just simply saying, I realize, Paul says, I'm like, an, I need to put my self into subjection. I need to have the self-control to be engaged in that which will matter. I'm going to lean into the hard things. And we know that for Paul, that meant persecution. He would write to the same group of people in second letter, chapter 11. That's where we have this list of the kind of things he, it's like he had to defend himself in his apostleship. He says, he said, I've, I've been beaten, stoned, jailed, hunger, cold, naked, sleepless, danger from bandits, danger on the sea, false believers, fellow Jews. He says, you name it, I've had people coming at me. And so I'm going to need self-control to be able to endure that. Because if we endure with him, we reign with him. And that meant everything to Paul. Persecution is real to many Christians right now as well. Uh, go to Voice of the Martyrs or some of the other places that try to uh, encourage us to pray for these countries, North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nigeria, Iran. The, I saw three columns of like, like 30-some countries that are, that, are, that are the worst for persecution. And we don't face that. We can, we can meet here and, and I can talk online about things that matter eternally. I don't think... We should feel guilty about that. And if Paul was able to, you know, time travel to fellowship in the room with us today, I think he would rejoice at our freedoms. But I think he might also look at our affluence and say, so what are you giving up for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? He said, I make my body my slave. I'm going to choose pain. Sounds crazy, right? The reality is we all have pain. Pain is inevitable in this life, there's, but there are different kinds of pain. There is sovereign pain, the ones you can do nothing about. Somehow God allows difficult, painful circumstances. And his, his sovereign goodness somehow shines through. But then there's some pains that are self-inflicted that really come from our selfishness because uh, my selfishness will always collide with other people's selfishness and when you have 
collisions of selfishness, that's called conflict, and that creates, frankly, the worst pain, right? Conflict is the worst kind of pain. So there's sovereign pain, there's self-inflicted pain, and Paul's talking about a third kind. It's volunteer pain. It's signing up for pain with a purpose. Because I know the goal. I'll embrace it. Because I'm not going for a wreath that's dry next week. I'm going for an eternal prize from King Jesus himself. As we read earlier, Paul wrote about the same thing to the Philippians. Writing from jail, by the way, right? Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Christ took hold of me, Paul said, for a reason. Save me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward, in Christ Jesus. There's, there's a prize, there's a goal, and he says, I'm not going to... He's accomplished so much by this time. He says, I'm not stopping. I'm going to press on to the next thing God has for me. The first thing I, I, I noticed about this passage is that it is, Paul envisions a very specific plan God has for him. He's to be an apostle to the Gentiles, okay? And his, so he, he dedicated his life for that. Do you know what God's equipped you to do? Are you, are you engaged in finding out and clarifying that, that focus? There are so many... I, wait, I just thinking this week, uh, you know, we, we're going to be having the worship in the park. Pastor Seth had put together a list from the last two years to do this of all the teams that we need to do that. It's so great. We have that list ready to go. And, and all the people it takes so that I get to proclaim the gospel outdoors where people can walk by and you can invite your friends. All the gifts it takes to get the gospel. Think through all the, the children's ministries. Everything that happens on Wednesday night with kids or, or adults. All the kinds of people it takes to do that so that we can teach the Word of God. What does it take to do Sunday morning? All the people who are spinning dials and practicing and greeting, and all the things that are in place, that, that we have a building like this and, and, and it looks nice. and All the, all the sacrifices were made to, to build this. I can go on with the list. You're involved in so many things. They're all towards the gospel. Do you, are you finding where that is? And do you know the next thing that God would say? And, and that's what I have for you next. Does your life need to refocus? Is there something that has to, has to change? Something you do less of to lean into something that God is directing you to do? Or, and this is okay, can you say, no, I, I love this. I, I'm in the path. It's not been easy. I haven't always done it right. But I, I'm learning that this is my focus. And I'm learning that this is where I can be effective. I can see where I am needed. But it won't be easy. I've beat my body. He said. You're going to have to overcome something to do what God has planned for you. 
you have to overcome some, some, some fears. And if you're not a real people person, people are fearful, are, are scary, right? So it probably, because the way you're going to learn where God can use you, unfortunately, takes people. So you're going to have to be a little bit more people-y. You have to overcome that fear. You might be, have to overcome passivity. You look back over the years and you go, I've had so many good intentions, and the, but it's just so easy to just kind of, I'm good. Or I remember when I did such and such. Overcoming passivity. Sometimes, many times, it's overcoming relational hurts. Because that'll stall you out. That'll keep you from, it'll keep you from showing up. Because so-and-so might be there. So we have to overcome, we have to learn to forgive, and there's, there's hard things we lean into to be able to be used the way God intends us to be used. And Paul's concern was, I could be disqualified. Another observation from that passage in Philippians was that Paul, being in prison, didn't change his purpose. Some of you may know that in chapter 1, of, he writes Philippians from jail, he says, yeah, I'm in jail, but you know what? It's not really a problem because now that I'm here, they've got this praetorian guard thing going on on rotation. And so all of those guys, they hear the gospel. They, when they come on their shift, they hear the gospel. Isn't that great that prison didn't change his purpose because his goal was not to be released. His goal was the gospel. So prison didn't change that. He was released from that first time in prison. The second time was in, when you write 2 Timothy, that imprisonment, he never came out of, and he knew that was coming, fought the good fight, finished the faith. He's ready to go. But he says in 2 Timothy 2.9, even then he says, as he waits martyrdom, the gospel is not imprisoned. So that, that can't stop me. What do you... What are you doing that's hard that is in pursuit of an eternal price? If your goal in life is to have a long, happy, well-funded retirement to travel, good thing, right? But I think we know that all it takes is injury, disease, death, or maybe the stock market going down, and wipes out that plan. If, you're, if your goal in life is to be admired for how good looking you are, just wait a couple decades. <laughs> if your goal in life is to be the top of your profession, be recognized at the top of your profession, all it takes is for somebody else who's better, or you lose a job, and even, it's even injustice, and, 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 or you just retire, and it's amazing how soon you're forgotten. So, so what are we doing that will last? But if your goal is the approval of Jesus, doing what God called you to do, if your goal is to help Christians grow and help birth baby Christians, then nothing can stop that goal all the way to your, your, the bed in the assisted living or the hospital where you told the last nurse's aide something of what Jesus has done for you. Nothing needs to stop that goal. 
Paul's greatest dread was not prison, was not aging, and was not death. His greatest concern was being disqualified for the prize. And so he said, I'm going to overcome anything I need to do, lest after I've preached to others, he said, I, 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 I've, had, I've had a successful, you could say, ministry. I believe I've been on the path God has for me. But what if I get so tired of the opposition? What if I, what if I just can't put up with hunger and thirst anymore? What if, I, what if I fail to fulfill what God has for me? It would stall me and it would disqualify me for the prize. Every sport has disqualifications. Well, that doesn't count. In discus, you had to throw it between the lines, right? There was that one sad story where I, it slipped and it hit a kid in the stomach, but it wasn't bad, it wasn't bad. It, it, didn't, go, it didn't go far, but it didn't count either. <laughs> Runners need to stay in the lanes. Boxers need to stay in the ring. A batter can, can hit, a, hit a ball farther than any other ball in the majors that year, but if it's four inches foul, it's just a long strike. That's all it is. And so Paul says, I don't want to run aimlessly. I don't want to punch the air. I don't want to hit long foul balls. He hasn't written so much about sin that disqualifies us, though it does. He's written about priorities. So what might it be? Just throwing some suggestions against the wall and see what sticks, okay? Doing hard things and limiting good things. Is it getting up in time to read and pray and get to know the God we say we serve? Is it a new, fresh commitment to be with people? What the Bible study does, what the Adult Bible Fellowship does, it puts you in relationship with other people. You, you know that they are like you. They struggle too, and they're praying for stuff that really hurts, but they're going towards the prize with you. And you miss out on that encouragement. I find that most people who are successful at running do it with others, or somebody else's. They're not the only one ever doing this. They aren't the only guy on the team. Something else hard would be inviting someone to come with you to this or worship in the park. There's little cards on the welcome table back there. You can invite someone, just say, hey, we're our church is having a service outside. We'd love to have you come. The other side shows our summer service times. Grab some of those. Invite them to your house, right? Then you're going to have that opportunity sometimes to tell someone the gospel. They, they say, so what's different about your church? What's different about your church? We believe what the Bible says, that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and you have to put your faith in Christ. It's just a wonderful, simple thing, and it's a free gift from God. And that actually changed my life. Maybe it's a financial commitment to the gospel. So many of you do that already, but is there something, maybe it's supporting Tim and Sis Keith as they launch their ministries to take the gospel to Paraguay. Maybe it's something that takes time out of your life <laughs> on an evening when you're stressed, when you're down to that energy level of one or two, 
but you rearrange something so you can do it when you can do it. Maybe it's helping teach kids here. I know that Pastor Nate would tell you there are a lot of opportunities this fall. Needs is another way to say opportunities uh, to be able to continue teaching our kids in these ministries. And maybe it's something else God is showing you. But if you're going to do those hard things, you're going to have to limit some good things. Like maybe, maybe we could afford to have a little less social media and entertainment. Yeah. It could be they're just, we need to get more healthy so there's more energy. Discipline. I don't think he's talking about, he's not applying this to discipline of our body, but you know, sometimes we just need to take better care of ourselves. Limit excessive work. I know that's, that's hard to control sometimes, right? It, it just comes at you. But, but to learn what's essential, what's excessive, to make margin for, for what God has. You, you didn't expect me to put that one up there. Limit excessive church activities. Could it be that we're spread so thin? Sometimes we, we could just be driven to just like, oh, yeah, I can do that, and I can do that, I can do that, and we're doing nothing well. And I admire it when someone says, you know, I'm going to really focus on this, but I'm going to give it my all. And so I'm going to, I can't do everything. But that might mean that somebody else has to do the other thing that you were doing. Out of order, I guess, here. Uh, limit hobby, sports, and fun time. It's important. Exercise, free time to enjoy. Yeah, sometimes a little less. Limit spending and shopping. It takes not only money, but it takes time. It can become that, that controlling thing. So I, I don't know what yours is. But ask, do we have the courage to pray and say, God, what hard thing are you, are you moving me towards? What good thing is distracting me or needs self-discipline? And then asking the question, Lord, what's the next step? What's, what's the next thing? Because if we understand what Paul is saying here, we'll never regret it. We do it to get a crown that will, not, will last forever. And we don't want to be disqualified from, from the specific plan or prize that Christ has in mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are called to a relationship with you. And you really didn't attach any strings to say, I will save you if you do these things for me. You gave a gift that's a gift that's a gift. And Lord, just in, in, our, in our sense of appreciation, in our gratitude to you, I pray that your spirit would work in us and uh, we would begin to see where you have equipped us, the opportunities, the, uh, the resources, the, the time, the skills, uh, the relationships that we have that can be used by you to um, somehow fit into a, a, an eternal plan that's so far beyond us, but one that we will never regret investing in. So guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.